Hello and welcome to Volume 3 of Wrestling 20 Years Ago. And this month, Volume 1 is WCW and their small Nitro at the Georgia Dome and the Bash of the Beach pay-per-view. Volume 2 is the WWF and Fully Loaded. But in Volume 3, we are here with another month's worth of hardcore TV with the build-up to next month's Heatwave pay-per-view. And to go over the joys of this month's ECW, I am joined by the awesome Eric. How the devil are we, sir? I am well on this uh, sunny on this sunny day, and let's. Uh, we were talking about it before we went on the air, but let's just go out and say now, congratulations uh, to to France on winning winning the World Cup. You know what a what an achievement that is. Vive la France, la Coupe du Monde. You know, it's the one thing I have learned from uh, World Cup '98 is that it's called the Coupe du Monde, not the World Cup. As long as, you know, it's coming home, as they say, because Jules Romay, the original World Cup trophy, is named after a Frenchman. Well, my Argentine and friends were, uh, uh, friends were, were disappointed. They're going to go home empty-handed, but uh, good job, France. Let's get them again. So, shall we go into the news? Absolutely, and it looks like we're going to start off with some belt swaps, uh, new tag team champs. So, RVD and Sabu are your new tag team champions after beating Chris Candido and Lance Storm in an awesome match this month. There was also a rematch, which was won by the champs. In such, Lance and Chris explode. Another busy month for the ECW legal department. Uh, tell us about the Staten Island incident. So on July the 17th at a house show in Staten Island, New York, there was a small coming together. According to the police, Alex Rico, also known as Big Dick Dudley, was charged with third degree assault after striking a 29 year old island resident who was suspected of throwing an object at him during the match. There were 1,500 people in attendance at the event, which started to spiral out of control when a six-man tag match between the Dudleys, Sandman, Tommy Dreamer, and Spike. Before the match, Rico was hit by a cup of beer by a fan. After an unsuccessful attempt to confront him, he can then continue to the ring. The other Dudleys called out the crowd for challenges. Two unidentified men attempted to climb the rails and get into the ring, but security held them back. As security's efforts began to falter, though, the Dudleys left the ring and attempted to help the guards. This, however, was the beginning of the e efforts that went wrong, as about 15 to 20 chairs were thrown towards the wrestlers and security. During the match, also, some of the crowd were throwing debris and beer into the ring, striking several of the wrestlers as well as fans. Many fans blamed alcohol for the incident, as alcohol was an unwanted surprise, according to Dan Cowell, the rep for ECW. In a statement, he says, It's our policy not to serve alcohol at our events, not even at our pay-per-views. 
At our shows, we serve Coke, water and Sprite. And these are always served in plastic cups. When one of the wrestlers saw the beer, he wanted to stop the show right there. According to witnesses, alcohol was served to many underage patrons and IDs were not checked by the Sports Fest staff. So, as our legal expert, do you think that ECW saying that they're a teetotal company will be able to get them out of this one? So, what what you say stuff like that for is not to try to get yourself out of a situation because what's what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, yeah, well, alcohol was served and it precipitated this event and your performers were involved and they crossed the line. Uh, it sounds like, um, you know, maybe everybody but but Dick was able to, um, you know, restrain themselves in terms of actually not having a physical confrontation with any other fans, although Bubba and Devon certainly didn't help anybody by escalating the situation. But why you say that is to say, look, you know, we typically have a policy here. We didn't know this was going on. It sounds like this event was being ran by a third party, a sports fest, uh, the sports fest uh, um, uh, event. And I don't do any research into uh, what this was, if it was part of a bigger festival or what, whatever, or just the venue was run by a third party. But it sounds like what ECW is saying, look, we're not liable here. Look, it's our policy. And they're trying to point the finger over to the venue and say, no, the venue was the one that served the alcohol that got all this started. And so, you know, to the extent that you can believe that ECW doesn't serve alcohol at its events, I don't know why they would say that if it wasn't true, because it would be so easy to disprove. But what ECW here is trying to do is at least put a little bit of blame on the venue um, in order to shirk some of the liability for what Big Dick looks like uh, he got in some hot water for. See, over here in the UK, obviously gigs, sporting events, anything like that, obviously you are there, you put on the entertainment, you hire the building the company or the owners of the building will put on the staff and run the bars and things like that. Obviously they, it's up to them to then, you know, ID people. If you know, the rules are, you don't sell beer that's on them. So obviously over here, it would be a case of, well, the venue's liable because that's the reason booze was sold though. Is that the same in the States or? Well, it would certainly depend. I mean, this is going to be about who knew what and, you know, whether, I mean, if this even goes anywhere, because Lord knows ECW is, you know, sued twice a week. And if they, if any of those went forward, if I can get my words under me, if any of those went forward into full-fledged litigation, ECW would be out of business in five minutes, just economically. And so to the extent that this goes anywhere and doesn't end up in some sort of like meet and greet with the roster and some handshake deal, um, it sounds like it's going to be an issue between whether or not ECW, the company, was aware that the venue was serving alcohol, because then ECW will or won't be liable. Uh, again, very, uh, very basic analysis here, but would or would not be liable for those reasons. So yeah, it's kind of the same, depending on who knew what and whether the venue was following rules from ECW or whether they were serving alcohol by their own policy. But as we all know, you shouldn't start trying to fight with fans. It's not big. It's not clever. Well, no, and and this this has been happening. I, I I can't remember seeing more fan interaction 
than I have in the last three or four years throughout all three major companies right now because we've seen it numerous times in WCW where fans harp the guardrail. I mean, we saw Mark Curtis, you know, put a front face lock on a dude three times three times his size in the middle of Nitro uh, less than a year ago. We've seen we've seen it multiple times. We've seen it in the WWF too, but they do a much better job with security, I think. Um, and by the way, I'll take this opportunity to say that. Uh, uh, I forget who it was on last month's WCW episode, but somebody pointed out how poor Doug Dillinger is at his job in kayfabe and in real life, and I, that's just spot on. But my point is, is we've seen this fan uh, performer line get blurred so many times that now, you know, somebody there, some line is going to get crossed here at some point to the extent that it already hasn't. And uh, when you factor in alcohol, whether or not that's ECW's policy. It just gets nasty. So yeah, if you're a fan, just stay the hell out of the out of the guardrail. And if you're a performer, just you know, don't touch the fans. Simple as that. It is a pretty simple rule to live by. Well, and hopefully ECW's next pay per view uh, goes off uh, without any legal uh, hitches. That is a wonderful segue there, Eric. Uh, so yes, Heat Wave '98 taking place on August the second in Dayton, Ohio has so far sold around 3,000 tickets for a grand sum of $100,000. So the lineup, as of recording, and obviously as always, subject to change, and it's ECW so we could get a completely different card on the night, is Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, and Spike going against Bubba Ray, Devon, and Big Dick. Taz versus Bam Bam for the FTW title. Masino Tanaka versus Mike Awesome. Chris Candido versus Lance Storm. RVD and Sabu putting the tag team titles up against Hayabusa and Jinzei Suzuki. And Jerry Lynn versus Just Incredible. And New Jack versus New Jack Victory. Pay per view uh, expanding, but maybe television clearance is uh, shrinking. What's going on in ECW's major markets? So, major TV markets New York, Philadelphia, and Atlanta all use the Paxson network and they, as of this fall, are changing their formats. It is believed that the ECW programming will be getting dropped from this network. So as such, they will need to be finding replacement time slots quickly to avoid loss of revenue for the house shows and pay-per-views that they have in that area. And it looks like maybe of all networks, the Fox network might be uh, there to throw a net out to old Polly. So Fox representatives even have been shown showing interest in exploring an alliance with ECW. Fox is interested in jumping on the pro wrestling bandwagon with amazing ratings that the Fed and WCWC on their Monday night shows. Fox want in on it either on Fox FX or the new Fox Sports channel. Fox's interest in wrestling is been serious and is expected to look at taking ECW on very soon. Obviously, as we were discussing this off-air, because obviously I wanted to know how big Fox is in the States, you said this is a national company, so this could give them complete national coverage across the whole of the U.S. Yeah, there are uh, there are, there's four or five major networks. There's ABC, NBC, which used to air Saturday Night's main event, um, uh, CBS and Fox, and Fox actually aired a couple main events in the 92-93 uh, years as well. So Fox is one of the biggest four or five networks uh, in the U.S. 
And if the Fox deal does go ahead, it is believed that the wrestlers will actually get proper full-length contracts and a bit more money in their back pocket. But uh, maybe Beulah won't be seeing some of that money, at least for the rest of 98. What's going on with Beulah? So the story is that Beulah has returned to college to continue her education. It is believed that she won't be anywhere near full-time for ECW for the rest of the year, but she may return just for part of the payoff of the Tommy Dreamer, Dudley Boys, Beulah angle. So before we go into TV for the month, it is that time for us to ask you so very nicely. If you like this show, if you do, how about you give us $5 a month to help keep the lights on, help pay for those subscriptions to the Torch and to the Observer, pay for the hosting, and also get access to episodes early like this one and coming next month. For our fifth anniversary, there are three specials, one of which will be going up on the 1st of August. So if you're interested, it's $5 US, which is about £4 UK, and that is at Patreon. So if you go to www.patreon.co.com even, forward slash wrestling 20 years ago, and there you can give us five whole dollars and get the joy in your ears earlier. So we are going into week one's TV and we open with Shane Douglas or with Joey Styles in the ring. And he introduces his new color commentator, Shane Douglas. Shane comes out to say that Joey now has some help. He confirmed that he came back too fast from his injury and as such made his injury worse. He and Francine are sick at Taz. They call him a pretender to the throne, which calls Taz to come out, and he calls out Shane, saying as soon as Shane is back and fit, he's going to take his title. We then see a match between Balls Mahoney and Masato Tanaka. Masato wins after a swinging DDT onto some chairs. This match is most notable for seeing Balls absolutely lever. Tanaka with some sick, sick chair shots. But it was a wonderfully fun brawl. What did you think about this one, Eric? What's, what people are going to forget about this match, and I, I agree with everything you said, and boy, it looks like Masato Tanaka is going to be around for a while if his head doesn't get cracked open. Um, people were, are going to forget that this match for the first 90 seconds or a minute or so was actually, uh, or two minutes or so, was actually... Uh, Kind of a good little mat wrestling uh, contest. I like that they were able to get out and didn't immediately just go to the ground and start leathering each other with chairs and weapons like in uh, a Dudley's Dreamer Sandman uh, match that I'm going to rave about here in about 10 minutes. Um, they they kind of worked a, a well-structured match, wrestling for a little while, Shane putting over Masato Strong, um, and then Balls getting some heat back, and then... Then you get into the chair leathering, which is going to be every Masato Tanaka match from what we saw this month. Um, and then just a freaking awesome Tornado DDT on a big stack of chairs to win. This was a really fun match, and it, it shows that Balls and Tanaka can actually wrestle a bit. Yeah, um, 
as as we will can sort of cover a bit more later on, that boy takes a sick chair shot. Um, I do worry when you see people take those style head shots, but you know maybe it's something in the in the sushi over there in in Japan that allows him to take that sort of a levering and have a look on his face of, please, sir, can I have another? So we are going into a wonderful tag team match between the Dudleys versus Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. Joel Gertner is on fine form. It seems to be that giving all of you people a mystery opponent an opponent that can really come in and kick ass, giving you people a big surprise, especially at the expense of the Dudley Boys. It seems that this has become an ECW tradition. Tonight, right here in this ring, the Dudley Boys are going to follow another ECW tradition. So kindly sit down as we prove that we are not only the best tag team in ECW, the most violent tag team in ECW, but also the most respectful tag team in ECW. This is something that should have been done here at the arena three weeks ago. And I apologize that we're a little late with it. But please, this is my time, and this is what the Dudleys feel that we need to do, and we're going to do it right now. Recently, the wrestling world lost one of the most popular personalities to ever set foot in a wrestling ring. At this time, whether you like it or not, because it's what we feel like doing, and because it's the respectful thing to do, we are going to pay homage to the dead, to the passing of the career of the dirtiest to ever enter Now one is enough, enough!
So what you've just heard there is Gertner saying that the Dudleys are the most respectful team in, w in ECW. They pay homage to the death of Beulah's career and have a 10-bell salute. When I say being respectful, they call her a dirty slap, skank, and basically a whore. But they Stay were really classy. Yeah, but they were really nice about it. They were. Stay classy. We then see Sandman come out with a ladder and Tommy Dreamer comes out with a barbed wire bat. Early in the match, the Dudleys take advantage as they slam Sandman onto the ladder. But they miss the follow-up when Big Dick tries to slam Bubba on top of him instead onto the ladder. Tommy pile drives Devon onto the ladder, which is a sick visual. And then they slam all of the Dudleys into the ladders in the corner. This brings out Onita. He batters the Dudley with a barbed wire bat. That is until Bubba manages to do the 180 and gets Sandman gets hit with the barbed wire bat instead. Tommy tries to go at Onita and sort of go, why have you done this? What's going on? Onita gives him a DDT. He then smashes Sandman's face into the barbed wire. And to add insult to injury, he chucks his beer. I thought they didn't allow alcohol. Exactly. Out comes New Jack. But he's followed by Jack Victory, who smashes a guitar over his head. The Dudleys beat down everyone, that is, until Spike comes and makes a save. He hits an acid drop on both Bubba and Devon, with Bubba selling wonderfully. He does try to do one to Big Dick. But this doesn't work as Big Dick lobs him through a table. Big Dick then performs total penetration onto the ladder onto Tommy Dreamer. Bubba hits a senton through the ladder. We don't get a winner in this match. But technically, I think we all win for the brawl that we see. What are you thinking? This was a stellar TV match. I got to tell you, this month, especially this week and next week, where we're going to talk about just, I mean, packed full of matches that could have worked on a pay-per-view. ECW's really stepped up their game uh, with television quality matches uh, over the last, basically since they went on pay-per-view. This match made everybody in it look like an absolute maniac in a really good way. The only way to go through this match, because it had so many twists and turns, is to kind of highlight what I thought were some of the most, you know, awesome or cringy or just stellar moments. And so the match begins, and it, it, it before the bell rings, there's guys on the floor, people are swinging chairs, and you get this terrifying image of Big Dick and the Sandman, who, along with Meanie, might be the two worst workers in North America right now, at least on a major level. And these dudes are just swinging weapons at each other, terrifying. Devon takes a pile driver onto a ladder. I mean, Onita comes out. If we wanted to, like, he's the king maniac in this whole maniac system here. And then he just comes out and beats the shit out of everybody and leaves. You know, if this wasn't ECW, we'd be like, what the hell was the point of that? But because it's ECW in a match like this, it just works. And then at some point after New Jack and Jack Victory come out, there's like 10 dudes in the ring and it's littered with weapons. It looks like a swap meet. Highlight of the match for me might have been and we see it all the time, so it's not like this is the first time, but 
Bubba Ray's selling of Spike's acid drop. He makes Spike look like a superhero. And Bubba just really knows how to lay out and sell that move and make Spike look like a million bucks. Awesome. And then, of course, it boils down to the Sandman is just bleeding like a stuck pig. There's ref shenanigans. This was just a car crash of the finest order. I'm not the biggest fan of matches like this. I've said that many times on, on the ECW volume of our show. But this is about as good as a match like this gets. This could have slid in anywhere on a pay-per-view and been a match of the night contender, I think. And it may not have even been the best match on this show. It's, I don't think it's the best match in this week, but it's definitely the best match this month of this ECW walking brawl style hardcore shenanigans. Um, a little bit on Anita is originally he was meant to be playing a bigger role for the whole of the month. Um, we do get little vignettes of him for the next couple of weeks, uh, but he was had to go back to FNW. So basically this angle never went anywhere, which is a shame. But, you know, we did get to see some class A violence from it. We then have a tag team title match and main event of the evening. Lance Storm and Chris Candido going against RBD and Sabu. We do join this match in progress, to which we see Sabu hitting a low drop kick and then into a camel clutch. Whilst this is happening, RBD hits the face drop kick. Storm and Candido flapjack Sabu. RBD comes in with a surfboard and Sabu lobs a chair at him for a combo. That gets a two count. Chris and Lance hit the powerbomb dropkick combo onto Sabu and get a two. Sabu then hits a Hurricane Rana. Lance and Chris hit the Doomsday device. RVD then hits the gauntlet leg drop onto Storm over the barrier. Chris plunges out onto Sabu, where Sabu hits a chair and then goes for the triple jump into the crowd. Chris hits top rope Hurricane Rana for a table back into the ring. And at this point, all four are brawling. Lance spikes RVD with a beautiful power driver. We then see both RVD and Sabu put on the table as Chris and Lance go off the top, but they miss. RVD hits a chair assisted sidekick to Candido. Sabu hits a DDT on Storm. The champs are put on the table and RVD and Sabu hit the double top rope leg drops. Sabu gets the pin and we have new tag team champions as Fonzie blows that fucking whistle. Eric, it's a shame we didn't see the whole of this match and we get it halfway through, but fuck me, they pack in a lot in this 10 minutes. Whew. This one was something, wasn't it? Uh, the pace of this match was incredible. Incredible. I mean, you have four guys in there. I mean, and Sabu's not a great worker, but he's he's not bad. But RVD, Candido, and Storm were just guys who can go. RVD's gotten a lot better over the last two years. And Candido and Storm are just undeniably awesome. Um, and these four guys just gave it everything they had. And it, it never – now, we didn't see the first you know part of the match, so it probably started slow in order to build and save the guy's energy for the last 10 minutes of the match. But that doesn't matter because the 10 minutes we saw were amazing. And it just every spot you can think of. RVD landed on his head after a doomsday device, but he gets right back up and he doesn't miss a beat. This was one of those matches where 
so many things could have gone so horribly wrong, but because of the guys in the ring and the timing and the skill and the coordination, it looked great. And the only, the only negative of the match that we saw was a finish that kind of got messed up, but that wasn't really through the fault of the guys. It was through, if I remember correctly, it was through the fault of the equipment. Can't really blame the guys for that. They recovered. Finish came off. It was good. I mean, this match, again, another match, the second match in a row that could easily have been on and possibly main evented a pay-per-view. This was great. Give me more of this, ECW, please. Give me as much Candido, Storm, RVD, and Sabu in any combination as you can give me, and I'll be a happy camper. So this is definitely sort of showing why ECW is, you know, the best in wrestling and the best in hardcore. Two great matches, one after another. Um, I have to say, the selling of RVD on that pile driver was ridiculous. The fact that he bounces after taking that. Um, does anyone else sell as good as RVD? I can't uh, think, of, think of anyone now that Sean's, you know, as good as retired. That's taking those sort of those sort of bumps and making it look that good. You know, I don't. You're probably right that RVD is the next guy since Sean to sell like that in the ring. Uh, but a guy who doesn't get enough credit for selling, and in, in terms of facial expressions and just being, you know, you know how when somebody's in so much agony, they're just they just come off as a total dick. And The Rock, especially in his feud with Shamrock, you know, you can watch that WrestleMania 14 match where The Rock's on the stretcher. It's a different type of selling. It's a more of a Ric Flair style. Um, selling than a Shawn Michaels or Kurt Hennig in the ring type, but he's another good one. But yeah, as far as like bouncing around the ring, I mean, he made that pile driver look like a million bucks and Shane Douglas. I mean, we're going to talk about this as we go along. Probably a shame. We haven't talked about it yet. Shane Douglas also contributed to making that pile driver look and seem fantastic because if you're just watching it and RVD does oversell it almost almost too much it almost looked comical but Shane Douglas is right there to say oh look at the compression in the spine look at how strong um uh you know look at how strong that move was and just one of you know six or seven examples that we could talk about and one of three or four that we will talk about of Shane Douglas either making something that was already great even better or maybe bringing something that really toes that line between good and hokey into that good to great um, uh, uh, realm. And so Shane Douglas here did his part as well. But yeah, absolutely right. Rob Van Dam, I mean, he if he keeps getting better, he will be into that, hopefully, into that Shawn Michaels, Kurt Hennig echelon of, of, of uh, in-ring work. Absolutely. So we'll go into week two's TV, which opens with a promo with RVD, Fonzie, and Sabu. I say Sabu, but he's not. He's there, but he doesn't say anything. He's a good Jay, little silent Bob. RVD says that he's ready for his push and will take on anyone now that he has three titles for all three people. Shane then comes out, says that Taz is shit, which brings out Taz. The whole of the triple threat follow him, and you'll hear that right now.
or not, but I'm a former World Tag Team Champion. As a matter of fact, I'd be a current World Tag Team Champion if somebody hadn't got his ass pinned last week. Maybe here in New York, you can just make up a belt if you want one. But back home in Calgary, you go out and earn it, like I did with the tag straps. So big man, you don't need to break a sweat tonight, because that belt doesn't mean So Taz, you ain't championship material. Hold up, hold up. I got a message that I want you to bring to Calgary. I want you to give this to all the Canadians from all the New Yorkers here, okay? As you've just heard, Lance Storm was the one that, you know, said that Taz was a paper champ and that he doesn't deserve that made-up title and is going to fight for the honour of the triple threat. So we get a match between Taz and Lance Storm. Lance gets the early advantage as he takes Taz. That is until Taz hits a beautiful German suplex and a mafia kick. Lance hits a spinning heel kick and then a few more kicks, but Taz grabs one of them, turning it into a leg and head Tazplex. Stiff lariat and a T-bone Tazplex. Lance manages to block his way out of the Taz mission and hit a springboard dropkick, which gets a two count. Taz then manages to get on the Taz mission and gets the win. Eric, short, sweet, but so much fun. Lance Storm was born to sell those suplexes, man. Um, there was no doubt when this match started um, that Taz was going to win and win convincingly unless there was interference. Um, and fortunately, it came off exactly how it should. They had a great five-minute television match that showed off Taz's skills, showed off Storm a little bit, although, again, no chance he was ever Storm was ever going to win this match clean. Um, and then shows off Taz, reminds everybody what, what a badass Taz is, if you need a reminder of that. Uh, and uh, Taz wins with the choke after five minutes. Good stuff. It did ex exactly what it needed to do, uh, and you put Storm in there against Taz, and it really makes Taz look like a killer. And I think it also gives Storm that little bit of a, a rub of being in there with, I suppose, at the moment, ECW's top guy. You've got to say that's where Taz is at this point. So, you know, Lance is seen as not just a guy in the tag team sphere. He's there with arguably the name main champion of the year at the moment, because obviously with Shane being on the shelf, they're positioning the FTW belt as, you know, I know it's not recognized, but it's still being sort of positioned as the main title in the company. So, you know, it's good for, for Lance going forward as well. It, it can't hurt him. I mean, he was never going to win this match. And just to show that he's, he's somebody who can be uh, considered a challenger uh, to a, to a top guy. Yeah. This worked out for everybody, I think. And, you know, can't emphasize enough that Taz is just coming off of some unstoppable monster these days. It's really cool. We follow this with a Shane promo where he shoots on Taz, which you'll hear right now. I will be joined momentarily by the franchise Shane Douglas and 
the head cheerleader Francine. Shane is checking his headsets as we speak. It has already been an eventful evening here in New York City. Joey, say it. To be a great color commentator, and I don't do anything less than great, I figured from the start I would call it right down the center. I'm not going to take any sides. But listen, Taz, there's no match in the ring right now. So I can talk with you on a little personal note. Let's shoot, brother. And I'll talk nice and slow so you can follow along with that little pea brain of yours. Look what we have, Taz. The real world heavyweight title. Read it, Taz. Can you follow along? ECW world heavyweight title. Look up here, cameraman. We've got the gold. We've got the most beautiful thing in this sport, but more than that, Taz, more than some fake orange title called FTW, you are not a world champion. What we have is a trophy much, much larger. Bam Bam Bigelow took your ass and put you through a ring, and he holds something much larger. He holds your ego right in the palm of his hand. He's the guy that beat the unbeatable Taz. Put your ass through the ring. If you think I'm gonna let you go him into a fight before that night at the big pay-per-view, you're sadly mistaken. Because Bam Bam Bigelow will put your ass through the ring again August 2nd at Heat Wave 98. We then have a match between Mike Awesome and Masaya Naka. I've not done a full match on this, but I will say go out of your way and watch it. Tanaka wins after a roaring elbow. Following the match, Mike Awesome hits a awesome bomb from the ring to the outside through a table which hits so hard that he slides all the way under the barrier as i said we've not done a full match on this but eric how awesome is these two and this feud it's one of those deals where you if you just pretend that nothing that they're doing hurts it's really fun to watch uh, but then when you start to think, especially when Tanaka goes over the top rope, shoulder and neck first, through a table, onto a hardwood floor and slides and crashes into the people in the front row underneath the guardrail, and you think, well, that's got to hurt a little. I mean, like JR says, they don't teach him how to fall, right? And so in a month where we've seen, or in a, in a, time, a month of time span going back to the King of the Ring where we've seen you know, one match featuring some of the craziest, you know, uh, wild bumps of all time. Let's not forget that a, as something as basic as throwing a guy over the top rope and then landing without any padding hurts like hell too, right? And these spots were fantastic, and it really gets over the fact that these two guys just really hate each other, and they'll do anything to beat the piss out of each other. And the commentators did a really good job of letting us know uh, again, Shane Douglas, again, uh, of letting us know why these two guys would go to such extremes to beat the tar out of each other because you wouldn't think in a normal matchup that it would end up with one guy just murdering another one, basically. But when you have the background, these two have been wrestling consistently for three or four years. It really helps uh, to hammer home why Mike Awesome, after he lost the match, would be so motivated to uh, put Tanaka into one of the Bat shit craziest spots that I can remember seeing in ECW. Go out of your way to watch this match and go out of your way to watch the, the post-match stuff and think, Jesus, that had to hurt a lot. See, this is the first time this month I really want to praise Shane for his commentary. Um, you know, it'd be quite easy to just sort of go on, oh, well, look at these two just beating the shit out of each other. Who cares? 
but he actually sort of made a conscious effort to mention the fact that they'd been having this feud in FMW, the fact that, you know, Tanaka is respected back in Japan and sort of get put over the those chair shots that he takes so viciously. You know, it just adds to the whole presentation on this match and it's so, so good. And by the sounds of it, both of these guys are staying around for a while, so we should get used to seeing more of these two beating the piss out of each other. We then have a match between Spike Doug Dudley and Ulf Herman. Here is the complete match breakdown. Spike hits an acid drop. He gets the pin. He then beats down the equaliser and Mr. Wright. All of this was within a minute and a half. We then see the Dudleys, and they come out for a wonderful promo, which you'll hear now. How do you 
feel that you thought Terry Funk was here. Bottom line, the Dudleys don't need anybody. We are the greatest tag team, six-man, the toughest, the roughest, and you're still a fat Shocking the fact that the Dudleys try to convince us that Funk would turn on Dreamer, or the fact that Joel Gertner publicly admitted to rupturing sign guy Dudley's rectum. You know, if there's one thing I can't stand, is for week after week a guy to come out here and ramble on and on and on using profanity and all. Yeah. From the double cross hood.
break Fiola McGillicuddy's neck. And now they won't stop talking about it. <laughs> it's an old franchise trick. Rub salt in the wound. So who do you have? A from Boston? A no-good street thug? You've seen the Cowboys send out the cow pies. So the Dudley say they've got a surprise partner. They say it was Terry Funk. Of course, it was a lie, and they mock all the fans and call them mocks. During the usual Dudley's intro, Gert, the fans start chanting along with Gertner. So, because, you know, the Dudleys are dicks, they just stop. This brings out the gangsterators, weapons in hand, and the usual weapons brawl begins. That is, until Jack Victory comes out and gets a giant guitar shot. They brawl, which brings out Spike and Tommy. We don't really see what happens in the ring at this time, because at the same time, Shane and Taz go at it in the studio as we go off air. So those last couple of bits, you know, the, the tiny Spike match and the Dudley's Gangsnators schmoz. Any thoughts? I mean, clearly more built. Oh, that, that, the Spike versus Ulf match is hilarious. I mean, everybody does their best to get... I mean, it's, it's great. It's perfect because in ECW, you can take a guy like Spike Dudley, who truly is probably 135 pounds soaking wet, and get him over as a giant killer. Super awesome. I don't know where it's going to go, uh, but it's it's sure fun to watch. Um, you know, <laughs> you said that Dudley's uh, that that Bubba called everybody marks. He called them stupid fucking marks, which is just awesome. Like, ha w get that New York crowd riled up, right? No, this is all good. I mean, it's it's there's nothing happening. It's the last. It's standard ECW fair where the last ten minutes of the show is um, kind of a promo or a schmoz or some sort of. Uh, of hype for the next week or for the for the pay-per-view and, and it should be and this is just another example of everybody coming together taz after shane dreamer and spike everybody gets involved here looks like they're building up to a jack victory and new jack match which will not be a technical classic by any stretch somebody might actually die in that um and then just using terry funk's funk's name to kind of troll the crowd all good stuff here. I mean, they're working towards a pay-per-view. I would say that this Dudley's versus Tommy Dreamer uh, thing is, is you know, certainly the, the second biggest feud in ECW right now, and it's the biggest one in terms of uh, Shane Douglas can't go for another, you know, four to six months, I think. So he and Taz are going to be on the back burner. So to the extent that uh, this, this last angle was meant to kind of put another splash of gasoline on, the, on a hot feud, it worked out great. So we walk into week three's TV, which opens with the BWO facing Lance Storm and Chris Candido. I say Chris Candido, he's basically sat, or Lance even, he's basically sat outside on a chair because he doesn't want to have this match. So we get Lance and sat outside. Chris Candido basically has the match of the month with Nova, Meanie steals a paycheck as he's there being awful. The end of the match sees Lance and Chris win after Chris hits a massive chair shot and gets the pin. This was fun. 
you know, it's a good use of the BWO because obviously Nova is the workhorse. Meanie is there to be the meanie. And furthers the, the animosity and tension between these two, which obviously explodes later in the month. What were your thoughts, Eric? This was another fun television match. I mean, we're, we're, I think every week we've had something really entertaining like this. But Meanie is, is stealing money at this point. Uh, Chris, who do you think did less in this match? Meanie, who was on the apron, ready to be tagged in, or Lance Storm, who voluntarily, quote-unquote, took himself out of the match. I think it's it's tied between the guy who was in the match and the guy who wasn't in the match for for who did less. I mean, I, I can't emphasize how little Meanie uh, contributed to this match other than taking the pinfall, and probably for the best, because Candida and Nova had a really strong 5-10 to 10 minute wrestling match. And that's a good example. We always talk about how since your Benoits and your Eddies and your Malenkos uh, and your Jerichos went to, to WCW, we kind of haven't really filled that wrestling void that er, you know early to mid-90s ECW always, always figured. Now here in 98, we haven't really got a strong wrestling division that's featured. But you give Chris Candido, Lance Storm, Nova, RVD – any combat Jerry Lynn, any combination of those guys, 10 or 15 minutes on a pay-per-view and you've got your wrestling match. Uh, I'd like to see Nova get more of an opportunity in the ring. Uh, Cause he really was able to hold up with Candido here and Candido is not, uh, you know, is not new to this. He's very, very talented. This is a fun match. And, and again, does exactly what it needs to do. Furthers the Candido storm animosity, uh, keeps the BWO, uh, BWO, you know, uh, over as uh, underneath comedy uh, faces. Good stuff here. I mean, really good. And Shane Douglas, again, we can go through it. But, you know, Jesse Ventura levels of breaking down moves in kayfabe to explain how you lose and gain momentum. Just really good stuff. I recommend uh, I recommend going back and watching this and really listening uh, to the commentary. Yeah. Um, I think... The, the issue with Nova is you need to get rid of the Supernova BWO gimmick um, if he's going to ever be taken in that wrestling vein. Because obviously that's the one thing that ECW does well is when it has its wrestling guys. You look when it had Benoit, Jericho, Malenko, they were all, you know, just them and not sort of put behind a silly gimmick or anything like that. So I think if he stays BWO and Supernova, he has no a has a has a limit on what you can do with him. I mean, if you get rid of that and just maybe keep the Nova name, keep him as Nova, but take away the the silliness before he can be something and bigger than he is so far. We then see a promo with RBD and Sabu, where they announced that at the pay per view they'll be having a tag team title match. And their challenges can come from anywhere from the world, which you'll hear right now. August 2nd, Key Wave Baby, 98, ECW, pay-per-view, Bill Alfonso, the combination, they hold all the gold and the silver, baby. Mr. Monday Night, Sabu, I'm glad of Monday Night. What do you want to do on August 2nd, baby? You might as well tell the people, Fonzie, this is ECW's biggest pay-per-view today. Worldwide! 
Because now Rob Van Dam has built us some houses this big, right, Daddy? Sabu, check this out. I already got to defend the world television title on the last pay-per-view. That wasn't all it's cracked out to be, but I'm ready to move on. Sabu, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the TV title, I'm going to put it in the corner, and I'm going to have Fonzie watch it for us. In the meantime, while this takes the back seat, I'm going to defend the world. I mean, we're going to defend my world tag team belts. And you know what? The tag team championship belts that we have are world titles, just like the television title. That means that our opponents can come from anywhere, anywhere. It doesn't matter if they're from Japan, England, Czechoslovakia. They probably don't have wrestling in Czechoslovakia. I doubt it. Vietnam. V Vietnam, that's not a good one for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute, you weren't even in Vietnam. Anyway, Kalamazoo, it doesn't matter where they come from, because it doesn't matter to me who I'm wrestling. When I get in the ring, I'm showing my stuff. It doesn't matter if I got this belt, that belt, or that belt, it doesn't matter. So what I'm gonna do is put our tag team titles up, because if I defended the TV title, nobody would care about your match anyway, Sabu. Hey, no offense, Sabu, people wanna see this. People wanna see this. What they're gonna see is both of us, because Rob Van Dam is, say it with me, Sabu, the whole show. No, you missed it. That's then followed by a new Jack promo where he's on a tube. He says that he's getting ready for Jack Victory, that Jack Victory messed with the wrong person, and he's going to beat the dog shit out of him, which you'll hear now. Where else did you expect to find me? In a gym? Working out lifting weights? That ain't new, Jack. You see... I'm ready for the pay-per-view. I'm getting ready for Jack Victory. Jack Victory, you wanted trouble? You picked the right person to mess with. You see, I'm the original gangster. If you want to mess with somebody that's going to set your ass on fire, you picked the right one. You walked in for about seven or eight years from under a rock. You want to mess with New Jack? I'm going to take you to the extreme. I'll show you what violence is all about. I ain't never gave a damn. I ain't about to start giving a damn now. You bring your bow-legged ass to the pay-per-view and you watch what I do to you. I'm going to take you to another level of violence. Not a subway train. I get a chance to get you in the arena, to get you in a building, to beat the dog out of you. You see, what you done started is something that you won't finish. You see, you done picked on New Jack. And Jack, I promise you, they gave me the green light. They said, New Jack, you can go and do what you want to do. That means I can beat your ass down to the ground and the pay-per-view, August the 2nd, Dayton, Ohio, you will feel what it's like to be standing on the receiving end of an original gangster, an original ass-whooping, an original thug. I got a criminal record. I got a college degree. 
I've been on both sides of the fence. Jack Victory, please show up. Please feel what it's like to deal with a man that ain't never gave a and never will give a Please be there and watch how I put your ass down for the count. I don't care about winning and losing. All I want to do is show you that I am going to destroy you. You hit me in the head with a guitar? Fine. To you, that was cute. To me, it didn't make me mad. All it did was it gave me another reason to beat your ass unconscious. And I promise you, the pay-per-view, son, you're going down. You're going down. You're going way down. We then get highlights of Tanaka versus Tracy Smothers. Um, again, the usual sort of highlight package that you see in ECW where you literally see the last few moments of the match. Tanaka wins with a Tornado DDT onto the chairs, which seems to be his finishing move of choice. We do see some horrible chair shots that Tanaka completely no-sells. He doesn't put his hands up. These are squashed straight on the head. Um, as we've said, with everything that Tanaka's done so far this month, you can't take too many of these and sort of carry on. Eric, do they worry you and concern you with the fact of how he takes these chair shots as much as it does? It's it's pretty gruesome. Uh, you see some guys take them and they get the finger up or they get the thumb up. Um and those typically tend to be the guys that have longer careers, I think. Uh, Tanaka doesn't work these chair shots. He takes a chair shot swung by a large man uh, at full speed on his head. That's not kayfaving it or, or, or working it. That is getting hit in the head with a metal object. And there's no way to, 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 to you know say it any other way. So... Every match that we've seen for Masato Tanaka in ECW has been has had a spot like this. And so if we can figure out that he's doing this three or four times a week, maybe, well, it's entertaining to watch, but I don't know if he's going to be wrestling or even walking at 30 or 35 years old. Uh, it's, I don't know how long. I don't think it's a very sustainable model, but it, it sure is, you know, fits that ECW blood and guts mold. Because obviously we see the likes of Funk or Foley who takes a chair shot. There's, you know, they put the the hands up, which we know is cushioning the blow, but it still makes it look realistic. They're still taking it to the head. You know, you don't have to completely block it with your arms and do it so it doesn't look like there's any contact. But there are ways of protecting yourself instead of just having your arms down by your side, taking it square on the head. This is followed by a Taz promo where he says he's going to train so he can beat the piss out of Bam Bam at the pay-per-view. We then also hear that Taz is going to make his way back to the building. We have a Justin and Jason versus Jerry Lynn and Roberto Marquez match. We don't really see much of this match as Taz makes his way back to the building and him and Bam Bam go at it in the broadcast position. Week 4's TV opens with Shane with just a wonderful starting comment of it's hot, sticky, and moist in here. But that's enough about Francine's crotch. 
Staying classy as always, ECW. Come on, Fox Network. What are you waiting for? <laughs> You've got to think, if Fox takes them up, they're going to have to stop that. Or, you know, I suppose what the Fed get away with on their on Raw. They could, you know, you know what you're getting with ECW, don't you? Yeah, that's the problem, though, right? With, with major television. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we then get a Taz promo, which you'll hear now. There was a major snowstorm in Philadelphia. And ECW held a TV taping. They had to cancel it on that Saturday and do it on that following Sunday. And what happened was about 90 people showed up. And a lot of faces I see here were part of those 90 people. I was here too. Now. People chanted after that TV taping with 90 people, chanted ECW. And nobody in the world gave a about ECW. But those 90 people were like, hey, WWF, WCW, ECW. Basically, what you people said four and a half years ago was the world. ECW, the world. Then what happened was ECW held a tournament, the NWA World Heavyweight Tournament for that belt, the most so-called most prestigious belt in the world. And as you people know, Shane Douglas was victorious in that tournament. And ironically, I was one of the guys that he beat to win that tournament. And Shane Douglas, Shane Douglas took that NWA title, he threw it on the floor, he held up the Eastern belt and claimed it extreme. So Shane Douglas said, the world. And when Shane did that, I supported it. I thought that was pretty cool because I was part of the movement. Even though it's hard for me to admit that I was part of the team and I am part of the team. You see, I don't have to come out here and wear an ECW shirt to prove my loyalty to this promotion. But you see, then Shane Douglas this, I'll tell you what, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll, you can talk, I'm sorry. You have something to say, so go ahead. Everybody's listening, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir, go ahead. By the way, nice hat. Head. Anyway, anyway, so then Shane Douglas decided, hey, I lost my belt. And what did Shane do? He jumped. He ran to Vince McMahon. 
But you see, everybody forgot that Shane did that. So Shane, you call yourself the franchise, and you claim that my belt is fake, and I'm not a real champion. Well, brother, you ain't a franchise. Because a franchise sticks it out. A franchise wrestles in the Montgomeryville with no shower and no toilet. A franchise wrestles in the Jim Thorpe's with no shower and no toilet. I have been at every one of these shows while ECW was paying their dues. Guys like me, guys like Tommy Dreamer, and guys like the Sandman. it out. We stuck it out. We took our paychecks, even though they were small then, and we said, hey, this thing will grow. We'll grow with it. We turned down the office. We said, no, we'll stay loyal. And we did. But Shane Douglas didn't. Shane came out here two weeks ago and had the balls to say, I'm the franchise, and Taz, you collect those fat paychecks because I built this promotion. Hey, brother, you definitely was the foreman on this job. You were a major man to build this company. But he left the job site. Shane Douglas left the job site, and I stuck it out. So just as Shane held up his belt and said, the world, I do the same, and I say, the world. And I don't need a chance. You know, I didn't even get a chance at that world belt. Shane came back begging for his job, and Paulie gave it back to him. That's fine. That's business. That's cool. And he got a title shot and was victorious and became the ECW World Heavyweight Champ. But what about the miserable workhorse that's been here from day one. Did I get a shot? No. No. What do I get? A shot at the TV belt? Make Shane tap in three minutes? Meanwhile, you people rant and rave how great Van Dam is, but who's the guy? Who's the guy who made that TV belt? You're looking at him, brother. So Shane Douglas, Whatever you get from behind that microphone, brother, and you want to put that pretty belt against this one, I ain't hard to find, brother. You look for the man in orange and black, and I will make you tap, and that's it. Now, if there's anyone back there that wants to take this belt from me, get the out of here. So obviously you've just heard Taz saying about a four and a half year Ago when there was 90 people in the building and half of them are still here, the fans said fuck the world. When Shane won the NWA title tournament and threw down the belt and proclaimed the Eastern Championship title as it was then, was the ECW title, he said fuck the world. He says that Shane isn't the franchise as he left and went to the Fed where he, Sandman and Tommy Dreamer all stayed loyal took the tiny paychecks and kept the company going. He then calls out Shane. This brings out Bam Bam, which we get a tiny impromptu match. 
Bam Bam taking the early advantage with suplexes and clubs. Taz hits a couple of head kicks and a couple of stiff lariats. Taz goes off the top rope for a DDT. Don't think I've seen Taz jump off the top rope before. It's a novelty. This brings out Storm and Candido, who beat down Taz, which also brings out RVD and Sabu. We get a massive brawl, and everyone leaves the ring. So I've put these two together. Obviously, you've got the impromptu match between Bam Bam and Taz. But first, that promo. If there was any proof that they are trying to make Taz the guy for ECW, going over the history of this company and saying that he's been there since the beginning, they're doing a job, aren't they? I thought you were talking about Shane's promo there for a minute. I I don't know if I have anything more to say about that. Um, Taz is is always good for one of these promos, right? And so when he cuts a really good one, like this one was, and it – the best – the best characters in wrestling, I think, are heel or faces are guys who are motivated and truly believe that what they're doing and what they think and, and, and how they feel is the right way of going about it. And the crowd, if the crowd agrees, they're a face. And if the crowd disagrees, they're a heel. And Taz really fits that mold because he, Taz seems to only function on principle as a character, right? And so the fact that he thinks Shane Douglas is this arrogant dick the fact that he thinks Shane Douglas is a paper champion, the fact that he thinks that Shane Douglas isn't loyal to ECW and isn't the franchise. I mean, Taz has good points that he makes in character, and Taz, the real-life guy, probably feels a lot of those same ways about Shane Douglas, the guy, too. Um, and when you have these real-life issues bleeding over into the into the work, and then you have promos that make sense are comprehensive and that uh, people can agree with or disagree with, but you can't say outright, oh, they're lying. Um, I, it makes for an excellent character and it makes for an excellent feud. And the fact that Taz is able to bring up all these points and be a you know badass motherfucker in the ring, it really makes it seem like Shane is is got his work cut out for him when he comes back. Good stuff. Yeah, it's the it's that thing that ECW do very, very well is make you feel and believe that whatever their guy is saying at the time, they actually do mean it. Um, I suppose that's what you get if you just sort of give the guys bullet points instead of fully scripting promos, which you hear in, from some of the guys in obviously the Fed and in WCW, where it's just like, oh, they're just going through their usual sort of spiel. They sound the same as everyone else in there. Whereas... Here in in the land of extreme, these guys actually, I think they pretty much are doing their own promos, and it can tell. So we follow this with a two out of three falls style gauntlet of Team Dudley versus Team Tommy. The winner of the falls will become the ones who pick the rules for the match at Heatwave. All of these matches were potted highlights. So first we had Tommy versus Bubba, where you see Bubba getting the win after a massive chair shot. We then got Sandman versus Devon, which we see Sandman win after hitting the white Russian leg sweep. Finally, we got Spike versus Big Dick, where Big Dick won with the Big Dick driver, meaning that the Dudleys get to choose the stipulation for the pay-per-view. 
which is a Dudley street fight. We then see Lance and Chris doing a trust exercise where Lance goes on top of the chairs saying that he wants Chris to catch him, dives back, Chris catches him. They then say they're going to avenge for what's happened to Chris's ear as he shows that Chris has had a damaged ear from the last match between RVD and Sabu. We then see a rematch for the tag team titles with Lance and Chris going against RVD and Sabu. Again, we join this match in high, in progress and in highlight form. Sabu and RVD win after hitting a top rope leg draw splash combination on Lance. After the match, Lance walks out on Chris. This is another one of those of I wish we'd have seen the whole match because it looked as though that would have been awesome. From what we saw, what were your feelings, Eric? I I fully agree with you. This is a match that um, you know. One seems like ECW is putting a lot of these he- really good, heavily edited matches uh, on their on their weekly uh, shows, and I'm wondering if they're going to have a you know try to increase their you know, home video releases or, you know, uh, maybe have go to more monthly pay-per-views because they're leaving a lot of good stuff on the cutting room floor if they're not ever planning on showing some of these matches. This is another good match, and really what I'm most thankful for is the match that I've been looking forward to. Uh, basically, sorry, I dropped my headphone there. The match that I've been looking forward to the most, um, basically, since Candido and Storm uh, hooked up back in the spring which is them against each other. I think they're going to have an absolutely barn burner match. Probably will steal the show uh, at the pay-per-view is my prediction. That has got sleeper hit written all over it. That could be the best wrestling match of the show. Um, and potentially one of the best wrestling matches this year. You know, I, I emphasize the word wrestling because it's not going to be a brawl it's not going to have sort of big spots i mean this is one of those that's very much map based old-fashioned wrestling holds and wrestling moves being done wonderfully well we close the month with the one and only promo montage which you'll hear the best bits now and something else too ever since i've been in ecw i've got a reputation for hurting people they call me stiff hey rvd 420 means i just smoked your ass am i right fonzie rob van dam is the whole effing show what you want to tell him you want to tell him seven rob van dam the dudley boys took a beautiful penthouse pet and had her spayed, neutered, and fixed. But don't blame the Dudley boys. They're merely products of their own environment. Nobody invited you to Dudleyville, Beulah McGillicuddy. If you're looking for somebody to blame, Blame your boyfriend, Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer, you've been a 
in this company a long time. You've made some mistakes. Hell, we all make mistakes. But Tommy, you made the biggest mistake of all. You brought your girlfriend a hundred and five pound beautiful penthouse pet into a wrestling ring. We like to call that wrestling ring Dudleyville. Anywhere where the Dudleys are, stomping somebody's head in is Dudleyville. We do it 24 hours a day. Dreamer, the worst thing you could have ever, ever done in your whole life is bring that sweet little girl down that runway with you to that ring. She's been with you a long time. We don't care. We don't care if you bring a two-year-old little boy. We don't care if you bring your 80-year-old grandmother. That's our house, Dudleyville, our city, our state, our world. And Tommy Dreamer, never again will Beulah McGillicuddy walk down that aisle and get in a ring with you. You know why, Tommy Dreamer? Because she felt what everybody in this company will either feel or has felt. 3D, boy. 3D, boy. You've been on the other end of it. You know what it's like to have your neck snapped. And that's what we did to your girl. We didn't just smack her in the face. We didn't kick her in the ass. We snapped her damn neck. How do you feel now? I'll tell you how you should feel, Dreamer. You should feel like a piece of crap. Because Beulah McGillicuddy's blood is on your hands, Dreamer. Oh, testify! I thought when I got rid of Raven, that would stop the pain. I didn't think the fury would continue. When Jerry Lawler came in, it was different. Just because it was me representing ECW, anybody could have. Because everybody knows ECW blow WWE out of the water each and every night. You see, when you're the glorified life of a professional wrestler, your life's an open book for the whole world to read. For a kid who's talented enough to make it on his own, wants to jump on my back and disgrace my family and my name to become a star. But you see, in professional wrestling, they don't just come to attack you. They take out your friends. And when you Tommy Dreamer, everybody gets hurt. Spike Dudley, he gets hurt every night. Sandman gets sent to the hospital in front of his pregnant wife. And she has to come to me and say, why, Tommy? Because he's with me, Lord. Because everybody gets hurt. And then, nothing I can do. Someone who's loved me my whole life, and just like everybody who's in my life, 
Together, together, forever, we told each other everything. So you would have heard RVD and Sabu say that Fonzie is the one. RVD tells him to be cool. RVD says that RVD420 just smoked your ass. Dudley saying they took out the penthouse pet of Beulah. And they should blame Tommy because it's Tommy's fault that she was there. And then Tommy goes on about the fact that he went through Raven. He went through Lawler. And now people attack his friends wherever he goes, and everyone around him gets hurt, and it's all his fault. Is this where he cries? Yes, this is the one where he bangs his head against the locker and cries. Um, again, this is one of those moments where we get great promos, and the way that they use that sort of almost Tarantino-like jump from one thing to another, music behind it. These these promo packages are one of the things that makes ECW stand out against everyone else. And when you see the bits that like we have today with the Dudleys saying that, you know, it's Tommy's fault, and then you get straight afterwards Tommy's retort where he admits that all the people around him get hurt. and you know, he is questioning it. Is it his fault? You know, again, ECW with promos are amazing. I, th I thought this was really good up until when Tommy started crying. And then for me, it became a little bit cringy, but it never really got, it never really crossed the line. It just, it was really teetering for me on ooh, this is this could get this could start to get like wcw 1991 levels of bad if they're not careful but it never did it was fine uh but you know let's keep tommy dreamer openly weeping to a minimum okay i i will let you have it that it was borderline but i did like it and i feel that it you know it works So we go into week five's TV where we get the announcement that Hayabusa and Hakushi will be facing RVD and Sabu at the pay-per-view. We then get highlights 
of the Taz and Bam Bam feud. We then get a promo where Taz tells us that he beat Bam Bam because he's better than him. But he wave, he'll get his victory back. We then get the one match on this week's show where we see Mike Awesome and Justin Credible teaming up to take on Mahesino Tanaka and Jerry Lynn. We open with an exchange between Awesome and Tanaka where they exchange offense and then go outside and brawl. Tanaka hits a running chair shot. Lin in with some drop kicks to Awesome, but no effect as Awesome then launches Lin and then hits a massive leg drop. Justin comes in and we get a chop battle. Lin takes over, hitting a drop kick and a back elbow, but misses the corner drop kick. Both teams tag and they exchange clubbing shots. Awesome hits a big German suplex and then a slingshot from the top rope. He then hits a rope assisted German suplex and a short arm clothesline. The Alabama slam, and then all four are at it outside. Lynn and Awesome both go off the top rope into the crowd. Back into the ring, Awesome hits a big splash and a frog splash and gets a two on Lynn. A massive chair shot, and then Justin comes in to grab the two count. Tanaka hits a power slam. And then gets a tag to Lin, who comes off the top with a leg drop, which gets a two. Justin hits a low blow, and Awesome hits a big splash that gets a two. A belly to belly that gets a two. And Justin then takes all the momentum out of the match by putting on a big old long headlock. We then get the pin combinations for a plethora of twos. Tag, which brings in Mike, who hits a big corner splash. Lin hits a Hurricane Rana. And Justin comes in only to eat a stiff forearm from Tanaka and a stiff superplex. Tanaka hits the DDT, swinging DDT onto the chairs, but that only gets a two as Awesome makes the save. Awesome then hits an Awesome Bomb from the ring through a table to the floor. Lynn sneaks a tombstone for the pin. So this tag match. How wonderful it was! It, it it makes sense that we open the the month with two incredible tag matches and close the month with this one. Holy shit, this was great! And I think this one. I mean, we've seen Jerry Lynn and uh, just incredible brawl uh, time time and again over the last couple of months, and we've really seen Masato Tanaka be featured. But I think this is where we really saw Mike Awesome. Uh, it, it, his dude, his name works for the dude. He's awesome. Uh, I don't know that I can think of a guy as big. And I mean, when we say big, he's not super tall. I think he's six six, six seven. He's three hundred pounds, but he's carved out of stone. I mean, this guy is massive when you see him, and he's got the geeky mullet, and he looks kind of like you know, just kind of some guy from Florida who, if he was you know, six inches shorter and a hundred pounds lighter, he'd probably be selling you used cars or something. But then you see this big six, six, 300 pound dude doing a, you know, stalling springboard plancha where he does the full extension balancing on the top rope. I mean, he makes the undertaker's top rope look like nothing. Dude's 
amazing. And I say awesome and no pun intended, but really it is because I, I don't know if there's anything that this guy couldn't do. I'm sure if he wanted to do a 450, if you gave him enough practice, he could probably nail that too. Just fabulous. I mean, this guy, I, I don't know much about him. I don't know how he is backstage. I don't know, you know, if he can only wrestle this style of match. And once you slow it down and try to keep it in the ring, maybe it falls apart. I don't know much about the guy, but if he can truly work, in the ring and has a decent head on his shoulders. Uh, this guy could be world champ someday. I mean, really could. And say so he, he does the high flying stuff, like the he does a springboard shoulder block. He does that massive frog splash, and he does it with the ease of a cruiserweight. Yet he's then there with the big power moves, and I think it helps that in ECW, a lot of the guys are around the six foot mark that makes him look so much bigger. The fact that he's got six, seven inches on a lot of the guys, it it shows. So yeah, when a, he does yeah. that stuff, it obviously looks much more impressive because, as you said, the majority of ECW guys can do that a lot of the stuff that he does. Not to the same level, but in in the terms of high flying things, but because they're smaller, you expect it. A guy of his size, you just don't expect to see that sort of thing being done. Well, and you make a good point about you know he's working against smaller guys, he's working in smaller arenas, he's working in a sixteen by sixteen as opposed to a twenty by twenty ring. He has all these advantages, making him look like a like a monster. But yeah, you're right. The concern about him, you know, what just even up against somebody like, like Hogan, who's probably you know about 300 pounds still, but he's certainly as tall or taller than Mike Awesome. And Hulk Hogan is a big guy, but in in the world of of WCW and WWF, he's Hogan's shtick has always been that he's been able to overcome guys bigger than him. And when you get a guy like Mike Awesome, whose gimmick is that he's this huge dude who can fly through the air does that kind of get lost when he's not as big and he doesn't look as big and he's still doing some of these moves? We'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, it's way too early. I mean, he could go away. Mike Austin could go away back to Japan tomorrow and we may never hear from him again. Sounds like he's going to be on the pay-per-view, which is great. Um, but, you know, I, I guess the point is, Chris, and I think you and I both agree, that it's we've rarely, if ever, seen a guy with this type of combined skill set and size. Yeah, and the fact that he does them both so well, yeah, it's it's definitely one for for the future. He's definitely got a lot of upside, and the fact that he's been out in Japan for the last four years, it will clearly mean that he brings something very different to anyone that's just been, you know, doing job work or even sort of territorial work through the states. The end of the show is basically just a hype package for the upcoming pay-per-view. So that is all for TV this month. But we shall, as we the beginning part of next month's show is literally going to open with the pay-per-view, we will have a little bit of a look forward to that event, Heatwave. We will go in the order of hype per match. So... We will open up our discussion with the match with the least hype going into it, but potentially match of the night written all over it. RVD and Sabu going against Hayabusa and Hakushi. 
the, knowing the, what I know about Hakushi for his Fed run, obviously I know he was hampered a bit. He is awesome. And I only hear good things about Hayabusa. I think this, as I said, has the potential to be match of the night. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think every match needs to have a huge hype. To me, there's no, there's no doubt that RVD and Sabu are going to retain because I doubt Hayabusa and Hakushi are going to be signing long-term deals with ECW. But that's, I mean, that's beyond the point of this match. This match is designed to make RVD and Sabu look like a million bucks against two guys who can also go in there and work. And if anybody's not really familiar with Hakushi, maybe you're not a big fan of the Fed, or you know, maybe you're just getting in into the last year or two. Uh, Go back to the opening match of SummerSlam 95 when it was Hakushi versus the 1-2-3 kid. Uh, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about what type of an in-ring worker Hakushi is. And from everything that I understand about the guy, he hasn't lost a step in the last three years. So this should be a very entertaining match. No build, not really necessary. If anything but Sabu and RVD going over in a spectacular match occurs, I'll be very surprised. We then get which will be our garbage Brawl for the night. New Jack and Jack victory. The only thing I hope for this is that New Jack doesn't kill himself after the last pay-per-view and the fact that he did that dive when he was clearly concussed and out of it. Is is this going to be anything but violence and horror? No. And for that reason, uh, this is the match on the card that I have the least desire uh, to watch. Not looking forward to it at all because there's not going to be anything redeeming about New Jack, who can't work a lick, versus Jack Victory, who's you know stealing money every time he's on TV. We then get what is believed to be the final match between these two, Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible. This, these two have divided opinion from pretty much everyone I've had on the show the last couple of months. Um, with a lot of people saying that Just Incredible is nothing but, you know, clearly friend, has good friends and good mates that have got him into his positions to others that think that he's a good worker and see lots of upside in him. Obviously, we all know how good Jerry Lynn has been in the past couple of months since he's been in ECW. How are you feeling about the, another coming together between these two? I, I'm perfectly fine with it. I, I've seen uh, several of the matches these two have had, and each one of them has been has been good, if not very good. Uh, I'm on the camp that I think Justin Credible is a good worker. Uh, I think he's still trying to find his voice uh, with the gimmick. Um, and I think, you know, they're being properly patient with him and not putting him in any real significant programs or anywhere near any titles, just allowing this guy to really sink or swim. I mean, what is he still only 25, 24 years old? I mean, he's super young and Jerry Lynn's been around forever. Um, I mean, he was in, and he's been around since the eighties, I think. Right. And so this mm. is really, this is a really good opportunity for, just incredible to kind of continue to be seasoned by a worker like Jerry Lynn. And these guys have had good matches in the past. No, this is, this is going to be just fine. Um, this will be a good spot to throw in the middle of the card uh, for that good wrestling match, uh, along with the other good wrestling match on the night, which we'll, uh, we'll talk about later. Which we will go into now, which is going to be Candido versus Storm. 
the blow off that's been building ever since these two were tag team partners and that last couple of months of them two just not getting along. We are finally going to get, as I said, which potentially could be the wrestling match of the year. Is there any way this isn't going to be good? Oh, this is the ECW match that I've been looking forward to the most all year uh, without, with, without any question. I will be, I think between the amount of time that these guys have spent working together, uh, the, the talent between them, um, the, the storyline with uh, their breakup and the tension that's been there. And I, if this match is anything but, a, you know, we, the cliche, but whatever, you know, if this match is anything but, you know, four stars, I think I'm going to be disappointed because I, I think this match has every advantage going into it to be great. It definitely is the the sleeper hit of, you know, I expect it to be there when it comes to the end of year awards for match of the year because these two together, it can't be anything but good, can it? We then have Tanaka versus Awesome. Again, I think with what we've seen so far this month with these two, I think, it's going to be more of the same of what we've seen already, just a little bit longer. And I would imagine that you know maybe Awesome get picks up the win on this one, sort of keep the feud going, because I think it's an ease for Tanaka to get used to being in the states is to work with the guy that he's been working with in FMW. Yeah, I think if you see that if Awesome wins the match, I think you'll see that they're both going to be sticking around for a while. And if Tanaka wins, I think maybe it'll show that Tanaka is the guy that ECW has really, um, you know, put the rocket ship on because Tanaka's already got a clean win over Awesome uh, on the month. And so another one uh, in such a short time uh, would really be telling as far as, you know, where, where Paul E uh, sees each guy. Uh, this match, if this match is anything but stiff and brutal, um, I'll, I'll be very surprised. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, you know, wh- how is one of them going to try to. Uh, attempt to murder the other one uh, because we've already seen uh, Awesome put Tanaka through a table over the top rope onto the floor without any padding. Um, so if they if they try to top that, you know, God help them. <laughs> uh, we have Bam Bam and Terrence. Um, obviously, we've already seen these two go out at it on pay-per-view already this year and that was an awesome match. I expect more of the same, but less ring breaking. And I think with the FCW belt being on the line, it's obvious that Taz goes over, but should be a really good match and obviously keeps the fires burning on the uh, Shane and Taz feud that's obviously working its way to November to remember when Shane should be back from injury. Yeah, ECW... Um, on their pay-per-views that I've seen usually has a lot more clean finishes than they do on their TV. And this is one of those matches on the card where I could see it not necessarily being a clean finish. Shane interfering to the extent that he's physically capable or some triple threat business or something. I could really see them, you know, not taking this match to, uh, to a true finish or maybe some sort of fuck finish in order to further the storyline, because this really is just to keep the Shane and Taz feud simmering we've already seen bam bam and taz a couple of times um or at least one time on pay-per-view and 
so there's really no there's really no independent reason for these guys to to uh, to do anything but further the Shane and Taz storyline. So I you know uh, they they may if somebody goes over here it'll be Taz and Taz may still go over, but I will not be surprised if it's far from clean. And then what I believe will be the main event of the evening. The Dudleys versus Tommy Sandman and Spike. Obviously, this is going to be a walking brawl. This this is, you know, the best guys for that. There's going to be weapons. There's going to be violence. Do the Dudleys go to a new level of, of super violence and become the most hated people in all of ECW by martyring the heroes that are Sandman and Dreamer? Yeah, have you heard anything about um, or read anything about where where the storyline is going? Because I I think that if you really want to build heat on the Dudleys, that the Dudleys win this match, and because there's nothing there's nothing pointing at that happening. I mean, everything we've seen with the promos over the month and the um, the way the storyline has been built and Beulah getting you know getting hurt. Everything has been leading to Tommy getting his revenge from his buddies, the Sandman, and to Spike. And if you really wanted to book Heat here and book a true, uh, you know, huge blow off, maybe when's the next pay per view in November? Um, You could do it there, depending on where everybody's supposed to be on the card. And so, you know, if if the function of this match is to blow off the feud, then obviously Tommy and Sandman are going to win, and it's going to be a bloody bloody nightmare but if this isn't the end or if there's an opportunity to keep this going and heap even more heat on the dudleys uh you know that that seems pretty tasty to me i think the the reactions the dudleys have been getting they are clearly the heels in the company they are like yes in new york obviously they were chanting along with gertner and i think gertner's shtick sort of doesn't help the dudleys in a way, because they've got that thing to chant along with, like DX has, or like the or the NWO has in WCW. But their actions and their behavior is so much like assholes that even after the fact that the fans love to chant along with Gertner, they still hate the Dudleys. Um, so yeah, I've, as you say, depending on where they want to go i haven't been sort of reading up on any gossip of future plans for this but i would imagine that they're going to want to keep the dudleys as hot as possible um because you don't need to give them the tag titles for them to be part of the main event and the most hated guys in in the company and uh, it keeps tommy something to do because you don't have to have him against them every week but that overarching story of I've broken your girlfriend, that could keep going for ages. And we've known that ECW is quite happy to keep a long running story going. Look at Tommy and Raven. Yeah, and I think they're still I think they're still wrestling in some parallel universe. You know, I think I think at some point Raven may come back and they could just jump straight back into that same feud as if nothing has happened and, you know, Raven hadn't been gone for the past couple of years. So the way that ECW books itself, this could rumble until next year. Especially Tommy gets his win back. Right. And especially if Beulah's not, I mean, the way that 
I mean, okay, so ECW doesn't do things traditionally all the time. But the way that this would traditionally work, right, is if we know Beulah is going to be out for the rest of the year or longer, you know, maybe she's going to be out too long and it's not going to make this feasible. But if she's just out the rest of the year finishing up some class credits or what have you, the way you do it is Beulah comes back and helps Tommy get their revenge, their collective revenge on the Dudleys, right? And so if we know Beulah's not going to be around for another six months, then I could see them finding a way of stretching this out. And maybe the Dudleys do go over here and decimate the shit out of Tommy. We don't see Tommy for a month. He comes back, starts to build his heat back against the Dudleys. And then, you know, the beginning of, you know, the end of this year, the beginning of next year, you bring Beulah back and you have, it's, I mean, the crowd will explode. It'll be like when Tommy beat Raven, the, cl- the crowd will go mental. Yep. Uh, it's simple booking but could do so so well um things they could do so the other little thing i did want to discuss uh this month obviously we brought it up in little bits during this is the franchise becoming a commentating franchise who would have thunk that douglas would have been such a good color guy and for a guy who who can't, we know he can cut a really solid promo. But at times, he re- really relies on the shtick and the gimmick and Francine and swearing and and riling up the crowd and cheap heat. So you know, you and I were discussing this before the show. How when Shane was first announced as the commentator, it was both like, "Ooh, how's this gonna go?" And it took almost no time at all to realize that Shane is is awesome. I mean, he's the best without hyperbole the best color commentator in wrestling right now, immediately, in my opinion. He's certainly years, light years ahead of Lawler. I mean, we can all agree on that. And, you know, Tanae's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, doesn't have enough character. He's not exciting enough. He delivers information, but he's just kind of an encyclopedia. Jeff Parker's favorite, Larry Zabisco, has his, has his problems. I really think, man, that Shane Douglas has the potential to be the best color commentator since Jesse. Really, I do. As far as that, like, heel-oriented commentator who's still going to analyze the matches, call the moves, explain from personal experience and training, you know, how a move works, why it works, build up guys who are heels and faces, even though you might not personally like a guy, you can respect their, uh, you know, who they are and, and what their skills are. Yeah, he's gonna say he he gives you that level of expertise of being someone that's been in the ring, been there, done that. So you believe what he says and the emphasis on what he says. But he's also showing knowledge of the product and knowledge of feuds that just sort of makes everything even further. It just gives that extra layer of color as he's meant to as a color commentator adds that bit of color to Joey's play-by-play and just sort of expands the story arc and the stories that are being told in the ring. And it really breaks up what can sometimes be a Joey uh, monotony, which is calling the matches, having his quips, uh, you know, his little funny asides from time to time. But it does after, especially on these longer shows, your, your specials, and your pay-per-views, it does, after a while, uh, when Joey hasn't had a, a, a commentator, um, start to to wear on you. And so they've tried in the past with Tommy Dreamer and other guys. And, you know, Dreamer was fine, but he didn't really contribute anything. 
and some of the other guys have been fine, but they haven't really contributed to anything. This is the first time where I can remember Joey Styles having a true color commentator, and it only emphasizes how good Joey is as a play-by-play guy. And so ECW might have backed their way into having the best one-two broadcast punch in all of wrestling right now because although JR is probably the best play-by-play guy really he's not asked to do that in the fed he's not asked to call moves and 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 Lawler's not all that good so I think when you take the balance of Styles and and Douglas and you know we've only seen a month of it so it could go off the rails in a hurry um but so far we might be on to something really special here as far as Shane Douglas's you know career as a color commentator uh down the road well, as I said, it looks as though obviously they will be doing the commentary for the pay-per-view, so it's their first time to see it in long form and not, you know, the forty-five minutes of TV and see where he goes from there. And hopefully, as you say, it will help break up that sort of slight monotony that we get with, you know, three hours of Joey on his own. That just makes it easier, a for Joey himself, but also adds an extra layer to the commentary for everyone else. So that will wrap us up for this month's show. Once again, I'd like to thank you, Eric, for joining us. Was there anything you would like to bimp or promote at this time? I'm not asking for your money, but if if you're on Twitter, hit me up at Modern Day Lawyer and, uh, and you know, see what I've got to say. Otherwise, uh, check out our Patreon. And uh, if you like what you hear, you want to hear it early and you want to hear some pretty dope bonus shows including one that chris and rory and i did about the ecw music album um that'll be fun stuff hit us up on patreon so this month we have volume one being wcw as i said with a georgia dome nitro and back to the beach volume two is wwf and fully loaded Obviously, for me, if you want to hear more of my musings on music and such, you can follow me at Show and Tell with Tunes, which you can get on iTunes and all other wonderful podcasting platforms. And all it does is leave me to say thank you very much and good night.